Hi, I'm Kahi Shah, and you're listening to the Baking Soda Podcast, featuring startup companies on the rise. Hi, I'm Arif Damji. We believe that successful startups share the same properties as this magical white powder, namely being essential, versatile, and adaptable. Together and with all of you, we will delve further into the journey of early stage companies and their adventurous CEOs. Today's startup in the spotlight is Power. In an era where we're making great strides in biomedical innovation with thousands of drugs in development, a startling 85% of clinical trials fail to recruit enough patients. Power is transforming this landscape. Their platform simplifies the process of connecting patients with clinical trials, empowering individuals to take part in this critical research. Hundreds of thousands of patients are using the platform with over 7,000. Welcome, Brandon Lee, co-founder and co-CEO of Power. Thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. Um, that was a that was a killer intro. Uh, I like the way you did that. <laughs> so I won Batty Rat. Yeah. <laughs> and the tone just changes immediately. That's incredible. <laughs> um, it's that nice British accent. Um, yeah, that's right. Brandon, so excited to have you on with us and congratulations on your recent wedding where oh, did you, you go on your honeymoon or where are you going on your honeymoon i totally forgot this was part of the uh the interview. <laughs> i read it last night it was like 1 a.m and then oh, i was like what the fuck that you're gonna ask and then I, it totally like slipped my mind um yeah so we i mean we, we got married in cabo and then we stayed just a couple of days in todo santos i had this like terrible idea that i was gonna get back to work immediately after the you know wedding um, like, oh yeah, like I just, I'm going to get right, like just hit the ground running. We've got a couple of things we're working on. I need to like, I need to be productive. And yeah, that would have gone nowhere. <laughs> my, my wife asked the same thing last year when I got married. She's so like, nope, only get married once. Ideally. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But also, I don't know if you felt this way, but after the wedding, it was like, you're physically exhausted, right? Like yes. you're emotionally like exhausted. It's just like, it's a lot. With that, let's talk about our, so I remember Brandon meeting you many years ago and loved your idea of empowering patients to be in control of their care. I wanted to know where did the insight of going G to C come from? Um, within the healthcare industry, it seems like when it comes to clinical trials matching, you're empowering pharma or the doctor um, to find a solution, but you're really empowering the patient to take control of their care. Yeah, totally. Um- so a large part of the genesis behind power is that we've just had personal experiences where we, friends, family members have kind of brushed up against the clinical trial system. Like I, I had a friend who had to go uh, out and look for her own clinical trial and she got on, you know, the government website, clinicaltrial.gov and tried to navigate it, really frustrated, very confused, managed to figure something out, called, called her way in front of a doctor, got herself like an appointment, like all this kind of stuff. Um, and it was, you know, watching that journey unfold that we realized two things. The first one is that she can't be the only person <laughs> that is out there that is trying to learn about the medical research landscape, right? Like she can't be the only patient. And, you know, unfortunately in, uh, uh, in today's environment, patients have to be their own best advocates where like they do need to go out and do a lot of the research on their own when it comes to advocating for their health. Um, Arif, you're sharing a story where, um, it sounds like, uh, you're doing the same, right? Um, so, you know, realize, you know, first thing that I think there are patients who are trying to do this today and they are just getting frustrated with that as well. Um, and the second thing, um, that we realized, you know, 
Well, our team is more of a consumer marketplace background. Uh, we've seen consumer marketplaces than other verticals uh, really unlock uh, consumer behavior in an interesting way. And an analogy that I've been using recently, which is um, I think really pertinent, is that of Zillow. So if you think of like home buying, right? Pre-Zillow, uh, it used to be this kind of trusted broker who was a gatekeeper of a lot of this information, right? Then you go to your uh, your broker, your agent, and you're like, hey, I want to like uh, I want to consider like home ownership and buying something, and they go off and they go to the government. Um, MLS and they go find all the listings and they curate kind of like a couple options they give it back to you um, and then uh, post Zillow now they've democratized access to housing information anybody who's interested in home ownership can go on and um, start getting educated earlier I mean as a result I think they've probably introduced more liquidity um, into the market of people who are considering home ownership and looking at um, homes to buy uh, and we think that we're going through the exact same change on the clinical research side of the world where uh, today trusted broker intermediary who's like overworked who is your kind of like healthcare practitioner um healthcare provider uh you're asking them to go looking for research on your behalf they're going to the government website they hate it too like doctors hate going on clinicaltrials.gov um and they like hopefully come back to you with a couple different options whereas they think that if we just um made a consumer first model um we could democratize access to that information and unlock a lot more uh, liquidity uh, on the demand side for for patients who are interested in learning about research I'm curious, Brandon, you talk about patients who are interested in learning about it, but what about the millions out there that just don't even know that clinical trials are happening, don't even think that that they could be a use case for themselves or a family member? How do we get to them and, and how do you upsolve that? Yes, and right, start somewhere and then start expanding from um, kind of a a white hot center, right, to, to kind of borrow a term from, uh, from NFX. Um, I think that there is enough action of people who are trying to learn about research that want to learn about it we can build a platform for them. Then there's enough people who are kind of adjacent that would support those patients, uh, loved ones, caregivers, family members who are doing some research off the side of their desk and would love to be able to uh, do more or see more, have more transparency into their options. And then I think there's even a bigger net um, beyond that, which is uh, there are patients who, to your point, and there are people to your point who they're not aware of it. Uh, they're they're pre- healthcare practitioners, they're physician people in their lives think it might be a good fit how do we make it easier for them to discover us as well? And actually having a consumer platform that's openly accessible for anybody on the internet really starts to bridge that, some of that gap. So one of the things we're seeing on our platform is that, you know, traditionally in, in clinical trials, 5% of participants are not white, right? Um, massive, massive problem um, in uh, accessibility for uh, underrepresented groups. Um, non-white populations just don't get hold about clinical trials um, at the same rate. Um, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but when you look at our platform and the usage uh, uh, usage that we're getting, we're seeing 40% of the the people who are using our website are non-white. And that's kind of like right in line with uh, the U.S. Census. And what does that tell you? It tells you that actually building a platform that is openly accessible, that's transparent, that's democratizing access, all this kind of good stuff is improving kind of um, the accessibility for people who may not have had, uh, uh, the means to access uh, clinical research in the past. That is really incredible and heartening to hear that statistic. I'm curious, what were some of the lessons um, that you took from Contact and your other consumer marketplace experiences um, that really were distilled into power? Yeah. So there's a whole lot that we can talk about here, but I think one that we spoke a lot about in the very beginning there's different kinds of marketplaces, right? Like you can almost draw like a two, there's a million two by two you can draw, but one two by two you can draw 
um, about a marketplace is uh, heterogeneity of supply versus like um, homogeneity of supply versus um, heterogeneity of demand versus heterogeneity of that's homogeneity of, of demand. Um, so um, essentially, uh, do uh, do buyers and sellers care who they're buying and selling like to, right? Um, and the kind of marketplace you end up building is very different uh, based on that. So I'll give you an example. Uber is like an interesting example of kind of a um, homogenous supply demand uh, market. Um, as a rider, I don't really care who picks me up as long as they get me from point A to point B. So there's a little bit of like um, heterogeneity. Can the person actually get me to point A to point B? Does that driver actually want to, to do that trip? But by and large, I don't really care. Um, so as a result, the platform gets to make the match. And I'm very happy for the platform to make the match. I don't care. I, I don't want to be browsing a bunch of driver profile to figure out um, who's going to uh, who's going to take this ride or who I'm going to take this ride with. Uh, whereas when it comes to things like home buying, where are you staying on a vacation, Airbnb and clinical research, you actually really care about what you're picking, right? Um, you don't want a platform. Imagine Airbnb uh, asked you 20 questions and they said, hey, here's here's the place you're staying in for this vacation. Um, you just wouldn't trust the answer, right? It wouldn't be what you're looking for. You, you, each person actually just has a bunch of different criteria that they're trying to sell for when they're browsing and selecting uh, across um, that market. And I think the same thing is true uh clinical research. From your vantage point, um, being an outsider to healthcare and now being an insider, what are things about the industry that you still can't make sense of? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I'm an insider just yet. <laughs> One of the things that I like to say is that I don't think that the the technology that you need to build in healthcare is like all that innovative, right? Like healthcare is 10, 10 years behind like um, enterprise technology, which is 10 years behind consumer technology. Um, all, all of the like technology that's been like that you need to build has been more or less solved already. Um, the hard thing about working in healthcare and, and health tech is uh, designing a system uh, that aligns the incentives that need to be aligned so that people adopt it uh, readily and in the right way. Uh, that's kind of like a tough thing uh, to go out and figure out. I'd love to dive into at this point, like power too, right? Who are the different players in the ecosystem and how have you aligned those incentives? The different players roughly are, you've got patients, you've got the research teams at, and we call them sites, like clinical trial sites. So these are hospitals, clinics, doctor's offices, um, the doctors, nurses, and coordinators that are doing the research. And then you've got the pharma companies or sponsors of the research, Biopharma, um, who are, um, uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, investing in the IP um, and trying to develop the IP behind it. So you've got these like three broad stakeholders um, that are in theory aligned, uh, where patients want to get into trials, uh, pharma companies want patients to get into trials, and researchers want to um, get their research done and they want to see patients, right? Um, Unfortunately, you know, like incentives get kind of like messed up when you zoom in a little bit and you realize that, you know, like a clinical trial site is not a single entity. There's like many different people who work at this clinical trial site and they all have different incentives, right? Um, this clinical trial site is doing research and, um, you know, at the highest level, the site wants to um, accrue patients, right? They want to um, bring patients in, they want to serve patients, they want to um, be successful in their research. Um, uh, all the way down the stack, though, through towards um, you know the the actual individuals who are working with the patients, um, uh, their day to day may not be governed by that broader 
like incentive or that broader kind of like desire, right? Um, they could be super burnt out. A lot of them are super burnt out. Most of them don't see don't see the kind of upside of that research um, getting done um, in a uh, in a faster way. Uh, their their time is constantly being like split between five or ten different like uh, research uh, projects, research child that they're they're kind of supporting. Um, and as a result, uh, it's actually further down in the organization that uh, incentives um, start to uh, uh, start to get misaligned in my weird way. Does that make sense? Does power help to align those, or are you mostly just getting by it at the top, and then it doesn't really matter? Yeah. So actually, uh, this is something that we I think do a little bit differently here, which is um, rather than like trying to go fully top down, our kind of like fundamental belief is that if actions aren't taken like bottoms up, then the end results, like the the end flow of patients, uh, never end up. Um, they end up showing up. So, like, if you if you don't align the attendance from like the the individual people, stakeholders on the ground, like the end users first, um, then the you know the the buyers, the uh, the executives don't end up seeing the impact that they want to see. So, um, we've actually kind of taken a path where we um, you know we've kind of focused on patients first, right? Um, building a product that works for patients, and as we've like increasingly started to work with trial sites and sponsors, um, we're really starting from like the end users and building the product for the end users, making sure that. Um, we've kind of resolved all the conflict for them first um such that when somebody decides to partner with us when a sponsor ends up deciding to partner with us um, we've got a like an ecosystem in place um that uh, has all the the right incentives um for the individuals and then do you see part of it is because you're so patient-centric almost do you see part of it is working with those sponsors to think about design or thinking about how do you get the, the adherence rates or patient monitoring, does that come as part of your role or does it stick to the funnel? Um, so, uh, it's actually a question of like, uh, when, like when we want to do things, right? Right now we're trying to stay ultra focused, right? We're fairly early. I think we need to stay very focused on the core mission of building a platform that allows patients to find, uh, trials and then building a platform that allows trials to successfully match, um, and, and take patients. Um, but you can think of our platform as building a pretty unique asset which is a patient interest graph, right? Like we have one of the only, like, um, only interest graphs of where there are patients interested in certain, in clinical trials of certain conditions. And uh, we can increasingly start to discover what is important to those patients when considering trials, right? Like what, uh, what are the pros and cons? What are the things that get them excited or nervous about research? Um, and that's like an area of data that a lot of our kind of uh, our pharma partners are really excited to start tapping into and understanding because it informs how they should develop uh, and design clinical trials down the road. That's really awesome. And clinical trials recruiting in the U.S. alone, I think it's a $20 billion industry. I'm curious how how you make money. Is it through doing, is it through matching a patient to a trial and does pharma pay you? Like, is that the budget you're going after? Yeah, so... You know, this market is kind of, how do I put it? It's not like necessarily consistent in how like these like partnership models are, um, are kind of put into place. Broadly, the way that we think about it is, hey, if we're able to, um, increase the probability of success of your trial by delivering, uh, by helping a, a trial differentiate on the platform and stand out for patients, 
Um, and as a result, more patients are um, are leaning into uh, connect with that trial. Uh, that's how we want to align our incentives, uh, right? So it's it's typically a combination of hey, like we've got some like software and infrastructure that allows your trial to be more successful um, and increase kind of like the uh, the success rate of interested patients actually uh, showing up and um, and participating. Brandon, I I read somewhere that for some of these trials, they just obviously don't want to get delayed, and so they're willing to pay. $50,000 to get a few patients, you know, per patient um, into the trial. So is this, is this no budget concern here? Are these pharma companies willing to spend what it takes just because it's, it's so costly to not be able to go to trial? Uh, yeah. Is there no budget concern? Um, okay. So another way to put it is, um, what is kind of like the, uh, um, the opportunity cost for the pharma company? So, um, a single day of delay uh can cost that farmer company and lost um um uh and lost sales anywhere between 10 and 10, uh, one and ten million dollars right um if you think about like bringing the uh the the kind of asset to market faster um uh, that's where kind of like the uh, the real value is um and the closer we can kind of like align like our incentives to timeline to market um the more value i think that you get uh, you're you're really creating um, and as a result, the more value you can um, uh, you can capture. Uh, but yeah, like to your point, um, that like that number is spot on. Yeah, that's right. And last year on your website, I read that three hundred thousand patients did a search on your platform. You matched pay patients with clinical trials. I would love to understand um, what were some of those unlocked that or what was the point where you realized like oh this is working and then what do you feel like you have to improve on it to really even see those numbers accelerate from here yeah i feel like the uh there's never one unlock right like i think the the, the journey of building like a a product and a company is that um it's kind of a series of like oh this thing has like gotten better like let's go like figure out the next thing that needs to get better right um one of the the first unlocks was Oh my God, patients are actually coming to the website, <laughs> right? It's like, it, it's, it's not a given that like, oh, if you build it, they will come, right? Um, you have to architect it very specifically for whatever distribution channels you're, you're kind of going after. And then like, even then you have to be competitive in those channels, um, and all this kind of stuff. But like the first unlock was like, oh my God, actually we're getting like organic visitors who are looking for trial. And then the second, the next unlock was like, oh my God, they're actually spending time learning. Like they're actually spending time reading about it. When we look at our web analytics now versus like other like options to learn about trials. Patients are two to three times more engaged on our platform relative to others. Um, and then, you know, then the next unlock is people are actually clicking the button like to connect with the researcher. Like they're actually trying to contact researchers, which is kind of crazy. Um, and they're they're trying to contact researchers at a higher rate. Like the onsite conversion is higher than you would see in e-commerce. And it's like, wow, like um, folks are spending the time, they're learning about research and they're trying to like connect with those researchers. Um, that's kind of like a series of unlocks. Um, eventually there's, um, an unlock around, um, can you bring on the researchers? And when you bring on the researchers, do they connect with the patient? Uh, when we look at some of our data, uh, um, uh, researchers that are on our platform connect with patients two times faster than researchers that are not on the platform. And it's like, wow, that's actually a materially better experience for the patient, but also increases the probability of success of like a patient actually showing up, right? Like if you think about, um, like waiting around for somebody to, to call you back and you lose interest like very quickly. So 
they were able to increase the time uh, or decrease the time it takes to, to kind of contacts. Um, that increased the success of the funnel like, at the end of the day. So There's like a series of these kinds of unlocks that are really interesting. I guess it makes sense, right? Like it's still your core fundamental thesis, which is people looking for clinical trials. They have a need that is heterogeneous and have they have high intent. They want to find something. You've just given them an outlet to motivate it. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's right. Brandon, I'm curious. One of the parts of clinical trials that I think can be frustrating for patients is that they're so geographically limited, right? You have to live close to the center. You have to go in multiple times a week. And in a world in which we're doing so much, you know, virtually, how are we moving forward to make it more convenient? Because obviously that then increases the, uh, the possible catchment of patients. There's this movement, which is, uh, okay, how do we use more technology in order to um, reduce the, uh, the kind of burden on patients to participate? And, you know, there are some trials where uh, telemedicine visit is okay, right? Uh, we can just like, we're having a conversation, we can do these assessments like virtually. That's not all research. Uh, in particular, if you think about like oncology, there's no way you can do all this stuff like virtually at home. There's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of kind of care that actually has to be administered. Um, there's a lot of readings um, that have to be done um, in order to make sure that uh, everybody is safe. Um, so like there's, um, this, there's actually this kind of murky middle ground, which is like a hybrid like model um, and how do you use technologies and like maybe different business models in order to um, enable um, a little bit more access um, without, or just like reduce the burden a little bit more. You know, a couple of the things that I'm really excited about are like one, um, I kind of think about them as like clinics on wheels. Um, people are like retrofitting these like buses or something to have like clinics inside them and they're going to the patient. Um, so the patients don't have to come into the clinic. Um, I think that's like a really interesting model. Um, another one that I'm like, actually particularly uh, interested in trying to figure out and eventually um, seeing like how we can scale is just there's a, a lot of financial and logistic support specifically for um, trials of more complex nature um, that sponsors are willing to um, provide. Um, so how do you make it a lot easier just for patients to do, tap into that support, right? Like today you have to like keep your receipts, you got to like, you got to like, um, <laughs> You got to provide your social security number. You got to like, um, like, I don't know, potentially be li- like, it, it's a, it's a crazy process. Um, but if there are ways that you can facilitate some, like, um, facilitate some of this logistics and reimbursement stuff, um, hey, you, you increase the catchment area just by, um, reducing the burden to, um, to travel. Sorry, that's a long-winded answer. <laughs> it's a great answer. Amazing. Um, with that, our time has flown by and come to an end thank you brandon so so much for being with us um today and we're looking forward to following the journey of power as you grow and scale and make clinical trials accessible thank you thank you for having me it's been a blast this is kahini and arif with the baking soda podcast featuring startup companies on the rise Thank you to all of our listeners. And for those of you that haven't subscribed, we encourage you to do so and tune in for our next episode.